Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by ELEC 25. We are thrilled to join you on 610 ESPN, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, it's my favorite hour of the week. I get to hang out with you and talk about everything that's going on in the sports world. How are you doing this week? I'm touched. <laughs> I just want you to know that I do say nice things. I don't about know, but you, you I just want to. I just want to be back in the studio. I want it to be normal. I, you know what? I'm gonna. I'm gonna we, say this, and I'm gonna. I'm gonna smack myself the second I say it. Just so you know, I miss the schuylkill. Okay, you're definitely going to smack yourself for that. But <laughs> I will tell our audience, I sent you a text the other day, so yeah. I don't want you to go to your head. But I do miss being in studio with you, and we haven't talked that much about how we're doing it remotely. Technology's amazing. We appreciate Mike Vito and everybody in the studio making sure that we can Skype in from our homes. But there's nothing like just being there, talking about it, laughing, getting you all red in the face when I can see your reaction to oh, it. Oh, so that's you why see, you, wanna, you see you me be there start to like see the smoke coming out of my ears. No, no, but that's be honest. Want. You definitely enjoy when like I screw up and the sweat starts to like form on my face and you can see it because I know that I did something I shouldn't have. So we'll get back to all that soon. But it's OK. We keep in contact. We text regularly and Sports are talking about potentially coming back. Uh, maybe a little baseball looking to get started again. What are your thoughts on the talk that's going on? By the way, we're going to get to our guest. We've got Mike Corey, NBC Sports, ESPN play-by-play announcer in a couple minutes. And then we'll have Larry Doherty, the assistant athletic director at Temple University at 4.30 to talk a little college sports. But Jeff, are you excited, nervous that baseball seems to be making some movements to reopen? It's it's progress. It's nice to see that there's a there's a possibility. Just the thought of hope is something I have to tell you, like for people who have season tickets, the Phillies, all the organizations, I got the same thing from the, the, the Sixers is got that notification about um, refunding games for April and May and then ask what you want to do with the money. Do you want to roll it over or do you do you want to just take the money? And and part of me cannot bring myself to just say, okay, give me the money back because I just want to have hope that I'm going to be able to use it again and that there's going to be games. And, and I have to think that there's a bunch of people out there that when they get that email, they're thinking the same thing. It's funny. My definition of hope is not giving somebody else my money to hold, but I'm glad it's working for you. <laughs> I didn't say it's working for me. I just like any little thing that I can have hope that I can watch some sports, especially this time of year, watch some baseball. My I understanding mean, is you have a bunch of friends who are watching some baseball right now, Jeff. So there are some people outside of this area, a friend of mine, somebody that I had met a while back who's in the defense industry. And apparently there's a bunch of them that are watching KBL, which is Korean baseball. And uh, I asked you if you're staying up to watch it. You're not even DVRing it. No, I'm, I'm, they're like I'm watching really into a little, it. Um, well, yeah, I'm watching a little bit of it because I, I want to see Aaron Altair. I mean, he's on the NC Dinos. So that I, I've adopted them as my team. And apparently this group of people has adopted different teams to the point that that apparently they're they're getting apparel. So <laughs> so the KBL, so Major League Baseball, you better get back soon. Otherwise, the KBL is people are going to be wearing their jerseys and their hats and stuff. And this is why we do this show together, because you have friends that are buying Korean Baseball League apparel. We are just all <laughs> that desperate for some sports. You know, You're definitely you know, going to get one with an Aaron Altair name on the back of your jersey, aren't you? I don't, know. A jersey I don't, guy. I don't know if that's an op- option, but that would be great to have his name in Korean on the back of his jersey. How many people are walking around with, with those kind of jerseys? 
Uh, not many would be right. my guess. That would be my guess. But uh, somebody who's seen a lot of jerseys in their time will go back to the baseball in a little bit. Uh, in all of their sports broadcasting days, we are thrilled to be joined on the line now by ESPN and NBC Sports pay, play-by-play blog broadcaster Mike Corey. Mike, how you doing today, man? Yeah, I don't have any Korean jerseys yet, but I'm, I'll, I'll be working on it. We'll get something soon. <laughs> Are, are you are you announcing any Korean baseball games yet, or at least you're practicing <laughs> no, for the possibility? No, What's Jet, that? Are you practicing for the possibility that you could be doing some Korean baseball? <laughs> yeah, well, hey, I'm always I'm always open, right? You never know. I know. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. I have to get up at like two in the morning on that, but <laughs> it's, uh, it's going to be with you guys. I just man. picture broadcasters in their basement now, like practicing calls of game. Are you there, like staying ready for the call right now? <laughs> Yeah, I know, right? I mean, yeah, I'm just kind of hanging out. I mean, it's uh, it is a little tough because I mean, I've went over some old game film and trying to, you know, watch some stuff back. But you know, at the end of the day, I'm thinking, well, probably not going to be doing too much here for at least another three months, you know. So it's uh, it's kind of interesting. You are. Uh, we we lost you a little bit there on the reception, so I'm not sure where you are. You're you're sort of a guy that started their broadcasting career locally, though. You, you're doing over 20 years now, but you spent 13 years with the Delaware Blue Hens. What was that experience like for you to start local here in the area to, to get your platform to go? Yeah, that was great. I mean, that was probably one of the, uh, the, uh, some of the best times I've had, you know, doing games. Uh, just, we had such a great crew, you know, of people, and uh, we got to do, you know, a national championship in 2003 when Delaware football uh, won it all back then and won AA. And uh, Joe Flacco, I got to, you know, work with him and do, you know, some of his games, and he was here for a few years, so that was awesome. Uh, so, I mean, there's some really cool, you know, I mean, there's some really cool times, and, uh, you know, I enjoyed that. I mean, that was my first real break. I mean, I graduated from UMass and uh, was fortunate enough to get the job uh, doing Delaware football and basketball uh, right out of school. So that's how I got started. When you were at Delaware, did you cross paths with Tubby Raymond? I did. Yeah, that was my uh, my first three years. Um, I worked with Tubby. Uh, doing football it was it was awesome. Um, again, I I just graduated, so I'm I'm 21 years old at the time, and he was 73. And uh, we ended up doing like a radio show together um, every week uh, for three straight years, and it was just a it was just a fun combination. I mean, you can think about that. And he was just funny, and you know we had a great time. I mean, that was uh, I'll never forget those years. And you know I was there for when he won his 300 football game, his last game, you know of his career, and uh, just. One of the all-time greats. I mean, it, it, so, it was so much different, you know, back then, really, um, than what it is now. Um, but it was, I'm glad I kind of broke in the way I did with him and got to work with him for, for three years. I'll never forget those years. What's it like? You, you get out of school, you get this job, and the first job that you have is, is announcing games or, or doing games and then doing a show with a legend. I mean, we're not... We're not talking yeah. about just another college football coach. Tubby Raymond is a legend in the industry. I know, I know. It was uh, I was just I was just so fortunate. I mean, I really and I was very appreciative that kind of the fans and the people kind of you know gave me a little bit of time because I mean I, I had a ways to go. I mean I'll be the first to admit. I mean it was like everybody had more experience than me. Uh, they could have gotten that job, but you know I was just fortunate enough to to be the one, and, and I was like, okay, i got to work on a lot of stuff here. And then I think, you know, by year two, uh, year three, you know, people really started to, you know, I mean, they, they weren't, like, bad or anything. It was just that, like, I, I had a little ways to go, um, 
for sure to get up to where I needed to be. But they were always very, very gracious and to, to get to know everybody and really become friends with the fans and uh, and become known as the, the voice of the Blue Hens. And, you know, that was that was awesome. I mean, it really, it really was. So we had we had a great time there. Going out in downtown and people recognize you. It was just, it was just kind of neat for being a young kid, you know. And then you you go on to be able to not only call games locally on Comcast, other channels, NESN, but then you you get to NBC and you're doing play-by-play in the Olympics. What is that dream like for you to come true? Yeah, that was uh, why I I wrote back in the day in college, I remember, and I I found this, uh, like, uh, you know, when they say, hey, where do you see yourself and what would you like to do, five, ten years, whatever your dream and. And I had wrote down to be on NBC. I was like, you know, I grew up watching, you know, NBA and, you know, the NBA on NBC and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, man, I'd love to be on NBC. This would be so awesome. Uh, and, you know, with any network, really. But for whatever reason, I was like, that was kind of the, the one. And then to have the opportunity to do the Olympics, um, it's just like, wow, how the heck is this possible? But it, it's honestly when they have something like that and, and you think, well, the Olympics, there's just so many more opportunities because they need so many more people to cover all the sports, you know, and to do all the, the events. So that's kind of allowed me to have an opportunity because they needed some people. And lo and behold, it's just one of the biggest things that they do, you know. So uh, that was that was an experience. And I was hoping to, you know, be back again for this summer. And obviously everything, you know, was what happened. But, you know, hopefully next year I'll be back doing field hockey again. And that's what, I, uh, that's what I've done the last three Summer Olympics. So it's been pretty fun. So, Mike, when you go to the Olympics, which, you, which you've had the opportunity to do multiple times, there's a lot of prep that goes. People don't realize the amount of prep that goes into it for a broadcaster. What's it like for you to, to know that you might have been doing it this summer and then have this long delay? What do you do during this period of time? Do you talk to the athletes at all? And what were their, what's their reactions if you do? Yeah, I've been in contact with um, a bunch of coaches, to be honest with you. And then, um, you know, again, watching film and tape and, you know, I can't do that all the time. But then, you know, talking to my bosses and people like that, there wasn't much too much with the athletes or, you know, players or anything like that because everything's going to change so much, you know, from now until then or even until college starts, um, however that's going to look. But you got to find a way to, you know, to, to do a bunch of things that you can that would help get you ready and put you in a, a good position when all this is, uh, you know, getting better. I mean, I, I've really tried to take this time to, you know, improve on some things. And, and again, everybody's got a different story, right? I mean, I, I really sympathize. And, you know, there's people who have the jobs. I mean, there's people that, you know, have got their lost loved ones with all this. I mean, this is serious, you know, and I don't want to minimize that by any stretch. But with the time, and, and some people are working harder, you know, but for many of us, I think, we, we have a little bit of extra time, right? So I've been trying to utilize that to just be, better mentally, um, physically, you know, eating better, you know, running, working out, calling more people, staying in touch and developing good habits that I want to carry on when this gets better. You know, I don't want to do it just because it's now and I have more time. I want to be able to be better so that when we do go back to working harder or whatever we're doing, I've developed some great habits that, you know, turns me into a better person moving forward, you know? Yeah, you're you're making us all look bad, actually. So so I saw the other day on 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 social media, you were talking about getting swole and talking talking about protein shakes and stuff. How did you get into that? And and please stop, because then the rest of us are going to have to do that. Well, you know what? I'm I'm on. Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, So I'm just 
I mean, I, to me, I, I was overweight. I was like, I wanted to lose weight and I wanted to be better and I wanted to eat healthy. And when you're on the road and you're doing all this stuff, it's really tough. I mean, it's just like when you're in, you're in. And when you're out, you're out, you know, when I'm not doing it and just say, oh, whatever, and you, you just you follow that path, you know? So I was like, I've been looking at every little thing I'm kind of doing. And I don't believe me. I don't want to be one of those people like, oh, I'm on a diet and I can't have this and that. Like, no, because I want to live my life and be okay with having some stuff once in a while, going out and have a drink, whatever. I'm not going to be like that. But for right now, I'm trying to like <laughs> assess everything I'm, I'm kind of doing and, and think like, is this even good? So like I got to the power bar thing and I'm like, you know what? they're all they're all just bad for you like they're all bad they're all processed like junk in there and i I found a couple that only had a few ingredients and those taste like crap and they're not even you know healthy anyway (laughs) and i'm thinking to myself i can't do this anymore like i i know i'm going to be on the road and i might need something so maybe if it's a last resort but i'm like let me get some protein shakes you know and get better stuff and maybe i'll take something else with me some nuts or whatever on the road you know and figure this out but i just came to it i was like i'm not I'm not doing it. I'm going to just have my protein shake in the morning. I'm I'm done with the power bars. <laughs> you know, I, I just bought a box of, of like 20 protein bars. Could you? So you're telling me I got to <laughs> toss them now? My brother, John, actually did. It was so funny. Normally, I get a lot of advice and information from him, and I kind of follow his lead. I talked to him and uh, my sister, while I came. They live in Connecticut. And Kim goes, no, Mike, Mike, John was in the kitchen, and he – he literally threw out these uh, these cliff bars, the cliff bars he's had there for a while. I'm like, what are you doing, Josh? Like, no, no, Mike said they're not good. We can't, you know, the, the protein bar, no, not doing it anymore. <laughs> well, so if, like, if Jeff goes and throws want... out all of his protein bars, I'll let you know, Mike, that you've influenced <laughs> another person and converted them. Before we get to yeah. the state of sports today going forward, I did want to ask one other thing that you called. I mean, look, you've called everything from college football to MMA to rugby, but you call something that I've watched every year as a kid growing up on ESPN a lot, uh, the lacrosse finals and, and that weekend around more Memorial Day. What's that been like for you? Because I always thought that was so cool. Yeah, thanks. Uh, no, that's actually kind of how I broke into ESPN is with lacrosse. I mean, I, I was doing it on Comcast Sportsnet, CN8, you know, in Philly for a long time, 08, 9, 10. And, uh, you know, my agents were able to get my tape to ESPN. And that's, they kind of picked me up to do lacrosse in 2011. So, that's how I really got my start with them. And then I, you know, transitioned that to basketball and football, but I do love lacrosse. I mean, I think it's a fast sport. It's, it's fun. There's goal scoring. Um, it's outside. It's intense. I and mean, there's hitting there's, you know, the rules aren't too bad. I mean, once you learn it, it's really not that difficult. Um, I think, uh, you know, there's, it's a niche, you know, there's not a million teams. Uh, you get to know the coaches, the players. Um, it's very local and regionalized. So I'm, I'm like kind of on the East coast mostly with it. And um, I think I wish it would just kind of take off a little bit more. I know it's getting big in the high school level, and everybody says, oh, it's one of the fastest growing sports, but there's only like 75 Division One teams throughout the country, so, and really hardly anything out west. So until, you know, someday we're like the Pac 12 or the Big 12, just all of a sudden start sponsoring and having lacrosse and all their, you know, schools, then maybe it'll get a little bit bigger. But I really enjoy it, and I, I look forward to it. I, I did all the way up to the quarterfinals. Um, a couple of years in a row. Um, there you go. Done the final four, but yeah, the the, the quarterfinals have been, it's, and then the first round of the playoffs, and they've been fun. I mean, it's a it's really exciting, and the people I get to meet too um, are just former outstanding players and coaches, like some of the best in the business. 
So going back to current day, you're obviously watching like the rest of us with uncertainty as some of these leagues start to talk about trying to reopen all different plans from a broadcasting side. What are you preparing for and expecting uh, to be in stadium for games, to be in studio, which you've got some experience with from the Olympics? What, where, how does Mike Corey prepare for the unpreparable right now? That's a good point. Uh, so I'm, I'm um, expecting, you know, and again, everything's, you know, changing, whatever, but I'm expecting that we're going to, we're going to start up again in the fall. I mean, I'm really hoping that I really believe that I think, you know, that the games will figure out a way to come on. I mean, the pro sports are going to start to try to come back a little bit. I'm really hoping that they're not going to just go, now nah, we can't do this, you know? So I'm, I'm expecting to, to be doing college football, uh, hopefully on time, you know, in the beginning of September. I'm also expecting there not to be really any fans in the stands. I think that's going to ha- be how it's going to have to start out. Nobody for still a little while is going to want crowds of thousands of people. And I'm sure some places may do it, but I just think about it. Personally, people are not going to do that. And I don't know about that. You know, like, so I'm expecting not a lot of people in the stands for a while. I'm hoping by the end of the year or start of early next year, we kind of go back to what we expect. So those are the two things there. Three, um, I do expect to be there, like, on site. Um, we do what's called a Remy model now, like on ESPN, where I'm there, our analysts are there, and, you know, camera people and all those people are there. But, like, producers and directors and all that are back in, uh, in Bristol, or the, the headquarters, and then we can do games remotely like that. There are some, like you said, where everybody's in the studio, where it's just the camera people and whatever, filming it and kind of shooting it back to us. And that's not a great model because we're not there and we can't, you know, really be involved as much as we like to be. So I hope that doesn't, we've done a few of those, but those they're trying to, you know, I don't think they try to do a lot of those. And I don't think that's a great model unless it's something like the Olympics or a major event where you can't just send everybody over to it. But personally on specific games like that, I expect to get started in September. Um, I really hope we're back. I, I don't think there's going to be a lot of fans. I hope I'm going to be there, and we're just going to broadcast it. There'll be a lot of people hopefully watching because, you know, not everybody's going to be at the game, at least to get started. So that's, that's my belief based on what I know and see now. And, of course, it's all subject to change. <laughs> well, you've talked about how the fans will likely not be there, and I'd agree with, I agree with you that's how it's going to start. But part of the experience, even watching on TV, is fan reaction. I, I can tell a lot of times – whether or not a ball's going out on a home run by the reaction of the fans before they actually show the ball going over the wall. But what we've heard was Joe Buck said the other day to Andy Cohen that it's pretty much a done deal that the networks are going to use fake crowd noise in the games when there's no fans there. Is that something that, that you want to see? And what's your reaction to that? Yeah, that's, um, that's interesting. And I'll, I'll, I, I, as a broadcaster, I definitely like that because I, when I go do a game, I talk to the audio guy. It's one of the first people I, I talk to when I get there and say, hey, you know, give me the crowd. You know, give me the effects. So, and not the, the crowd as much. I want to hear the effects of the game, like, you know, the baskets and the mics and, you know, the parabolic on the football field. I mean, the crowd will do itself when they're there, but I want to hear the effects and, and a little crowd, of course, too. So, and I don't want to hear it any lower than what everybody else is going to hear. You know what I mean? Like if you're all watching at home and you hear somebody say something or can react to something, I need to be able to hear it at least at that level. So I always have at that level or higher. So I feel like I'm in the game, you know, so I can like lay back, let the, let the guy pod the crowd up and chill. And it just makes me feel like I'm in the game. I can't stand doing games where there's no noise or no crowd 
and I don't know, I don't think a lot of people of us like that because the ball is just bouncing and nothing's really happening. So I fully support that because one, it's a better experience for the fans in general watching, like nobody wants to not have or hear anything. And two, for me, I don't think I do as good of a job if I don't feel like I'm in the game and hearing crowd myself, you know? So I think that's just going to have to be something they're going to have to work on. They don't want to fake it though. You know, like if just crazy noise, if nothing's good is happening and, and who are you going to, you know, how are you going to put it up and down? I mean, are you cheering for a particular team? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, how are they going to, they're going to mix that, you know? So, well, well who's going to be the arbiter of what, of what you're going to hear, how loud the cheers right. are going to be. It's going to be like a laugh exactly. track on a sitcom. Yeah. Well, you will get, yeah, exactly. Like, like a sitcom, you're absolutely right. But I think they will have the effects of the game. And that's what we want to, we always like to hear that, you know? So I think we might be able to hear that even much better. I'd love to hear the quarterback and the players and, you know, discussion on the field. And, you know, maybe we're going to have to tell everybody down there to kind of keep it as clean as they possibly can. If not, whatever, they'll beep it out. But I, I like hearing that. So the sounds that's of the game, what I want we might hear. even hear that. I want to hear the trash talk between them and everything else. Before I get to the, the last question, I just want to ask you, you know, you, you mentioned hearing the fans. What's the impact of that on your call, the, the decibel level of the fans in the stadium and how that impacts or the fact that you may not have that, how you prepare for calling a game when you may not have that emotion that goes along with it directly? Yeah, I'm going to have to work on that. You're absolutely right, because, like, I love doing basketball games and there's a huge crowd there and somebody will shoot a three and sometimes I'll just be like, you know, Johnson for three and it'll go up and it'll go in and the crowd will just go berserk and I wouldn't even say anything. Like, I sometimes I do that. Like, that's, that speaks for itself. I love that. Or after a touchdown, we're, you know, you're really instructed to, to lay out. I mean, that's kind of a, a term in, 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 you know, broadcasting. And after somebody scores or big play happens, shut up. <laughs> Don't say anything for a little while. Let the crowd go. Let the director cut around the shot, the different shot, the different shot, reaction, reaction. Like, that's what we're kind of told to do. So, I'm going to kind of try to treat it the same way. Like I don't want to get into a bad habit of doing something only because of this situation. And then it uh, boils over until when everything does go back to to normal. And then, then you're in a bad, bad habit. Like I don't want to do that. So I'm going to try to do as much as I can the way we, we should normally do it. um, You know, rather than get into a bad habit, you know what I mean? Like it's like this time period, if we're, if we're going to do something now and I'm, I'm working on trying to get up earlier every day, like, I'm not just saying, well, I don't have to get up for anything so I can just sleep in late. No, no, I need to get up early now so I can train myself so that when I really do have a ton of stuff going on, I'm up and I'm ready to go, and we can find things to do. So I'm not going to try to adjust too, too much. I'm going to try to keep it the way I would normally do it so I don't fall into that trap. Mike, we talk a lot about the platforms that athletes have and how they use them to make an impact in the community. It's, that's one of the things that broadcasters and, and just anybody in sports, we, we love it when we see that. and. You seem to be somebody who has been doing that and using your position and your platform for things like Special Olympics, Delaware, Autism, Delaware, and the Delaware Kids Fund. How did you get involved in that, and and, and what's it like for you to be able to use your platform for these amazing causes? Yeah, I really appreciate that. I mean, thanks. I, I mean, I, I do. I try. I mean, I, I was with Delaware for a while, and, we, and I worked with Special Olympics Delaware, like MC and a ton of their events for years, and the Autism Delaware is another great uh, foundation and, and for um, uh, Artie Kempner, a good friend of mine, is a director for Fox Sports. They run this golf tournament every year in Delaware that raises almost half a million dollars. So I've been 
at that for the last 15 years. And, um, you know, and then this other great um, cause that, that's called Unlock the Light. And I'm sure if you check it out on my website there, it's a, it's a real cool feature. That, uh, cool. It's a, it's a feature we did on a, a former Delaware basketball player. And the story is tough. It's unfortunately he took his own life, but um, the family has done such goodwill from that and has put up this foundation and uh, developing a house on campus at the University of Delaware for kids with mental health that they can go in for free and get help that they need. So it's just a great um, job by them to turn the most horrible negative into a, an extreme positive. So when I when I get word of these things or people tell me about it and I'm like, you know what, this is great. I want to I want to get involved. That's the kind of stuff I do like to to get on the web and get on the social media and, and see if we can reach some people. I mean, that video is probably the single biggest thing um, I've done so far. I had like over 150,000 you know views and um, and we had heard from coaches and players and people that actually said that they stepped up to say that they had some issues and that they get to, to seek help and. Uh, the the father of the uh, young man who passed away was like Mike. I think we we got to some people. They actually said that they, they saved this guy. You know, I mean, it's it's crazy. So um, when I can do stuff like that, that makes me feel good. I think you know, trying to help others. I'm not really a guy that's going to go on there and just kind of blab and talk about you know, hey, what about that play by LeBron? You know, I just that's just not really me. So. Um, I do want to have a personality, though, and try to, you know, show who I am and, and talk about different things and have fun, you know, like the power bars and stuff. But um, I do appreciate that. I'm trying to do more of community stuff and uh, help raise money for, you know, different organizations. And then I think as it keeps growing, right, and it gets bigger and bigger, like I'm just kind of getting going on the social media thing. I mean, I really haven't been on it for too, too long full board. So once it gets bigger and bigger, I think we're just going to be able to reach many, many more more people and make more of an impact. So thanks for bringing that well, up. People can follow you on social media at Mike Corey Sports. Uh, if there's anything you're doing in the community that we can help promote, definitely let us know. And hope to get you back on sometime when there's games so we can talk about what life's like back as a broadcaster. But we thank you so yeah, much I for lo- taking the time and joining us today, Mike. Yeah, I'd love to do it, Jason, Jeff. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it, man. Anytime you, you reach out, and uh, hope you guys and your family stay safe, and uh, we'll get through all this. So. Same Thanks to you. so much. You take care of yourself. We'll talk soon. You too. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Jeff, every time we do an interview, everybody's just got this different story that they bring to it, and I just have so much fun hearing about their journey and then all the different experiences that they have along the way. Yeah, but can we talk about something for a minute? This This whole fan piped in sound now that was a perspective i didn't really think about was was the broadcaster's perspective and how he thinks that will will help the experience and help how he does his job i it just don't help see, me do my job just, as a fan watch the game well look i mean i mean i i do think it'll be good if they start miking up the players that we they the way they did in the all-star game and they did in spring training this year before it was shut down that i want to hear that's what i, I want especially if, if they have to identify the guys with personality like there were a bunch of guys on the Mets, as much as we all may not like the Mets, there were a bunch of guys that were great to listen to uh, during spring training. But, but the idea that they're going to pipe in sound, like what are they going to do? Is it just going to be the general commotion of a game that you hear in the background and the guy yelling peanuts and stuff like that? That I can see, but who's going to decide like what level of cheering there's going to be depending on what the play is? And look, let's be honest, we're Philadelphia. We don't always cheer our own guys sometimes. So who's going to decide <laughs> well, that look, it's time to boo yeah, our but own see, player see, here? Now, now you brought up something that actually might make Philadelphia look better because now we we'll don't only have, cheer. That's right. There won't be any booing. 
unless they put somebody behind that, that button that is actually going to press the blue button. Everyone. I put this out earlier this week when I saw the opinion. I hated the laugh track in sitcoms. I don't want the fake fans in these sports. I don't want the fake fans in the seats. What I wouldn't be surprised if they do is, you know, in basketball, you have, you know, basically music going on during the pace of play. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if instead of a silent arena, you you have something where they're playing different sounds like that, different music and stuff going on before and after the play. So it's not silence. But I'm really not a fan of pumping in fake crowd noise. I don't know about you. It's just not. I just don't know how they do it. Like, like I'm okay with having, like, I don't want to hear that silence so much. So if you want to, if you want to pump in that background noise, because if you listen to a baseball game, you may not notice it, but there's just a buzz. You hear yeah, the dull buzz right. that's in the background that I'm okay with. I just don't understand how they, if they're going to do the cheering that like, that's what I don't understand. Is that what Joe Buck was talking about? Does he think that they're going to when, when somebody scores a touchdown, all of a sudden they're going to blast, you know, cheering. And Can by I the volunteer way, you to be one of the fake fans? No, I want to be one of the real ones. I will go in, I will social distance, and I will sit there and I, I will wash my hands, I'll wear a mask, I'll do everything. The problem is, if everybody would just do this stuff, we could all go back to this. The problem uh, is, we're not going to get on our soapbox. We're not going to get on our soapbox. We right. are going to go and talk some college sports, though, aren't we? Yes, let's do that. All right, let's do that. We are thrilled to be joined on the show by Senior Associate Athletic Director for Temple University, Larry Dockerty. Larry, how you holding up these days, sir? Just like everyone else there, guys, just hanging out at home and trying to do the best we can here remotely. So, But I appreciate you having me on. All right. Well, um, well, we Larry, appreciate the time. Yeah, Larry, before we get before we get to what's going on now, my understanding is when, when all this broke, you weren't in Philadelphia. What was that first week, week and a half like for you? Really interesting. Uh, you know, we were, you know, I was with the men's basketball team. Uh, that's one of the sports I directly cover as a communication specialist. And uh, I remember talking to Aaron McKee the day before the NBA uh, shut down. And, he, and there was a lot of buzz going with the this virus and its impact. And could we shut down the conference tournament? Are there going to be fans, no fans in the arena? Uh, and, uh, you know, I said, there's no way they're going to shut down, you know, this tournament or March Madness. There's just no way. I mean, there's too much money at stake. Uh, it's just, you know, it didn't seem like the impact of this virus at that moment was where we are today. No one could have imagined that, I guess. I like, uh, But, you know, and we were all kind of, you know, in silos. We were just focused on this tournament. And so I'm like, I just can't see it. And I've been doing this for 30 years. I just couldn't see uh, a complete shutdown of all sports uh, in, the, in the blink of an eye. And then when the NBA, we did make a decision before the NBA to not have fans at our, at our arena. I think that's what one of the decisions we made that day of the NBA. When the NBA shut down, uh, it was, uh, we all knew that it was just a matter of hours before, you know, we were following suit and then the NCAA was going to make a decision to not only suspend the March madness, but also suspend all of the spring sports seasons, uh, and, and basically college sports for the 2000 or the 2019, 20, uh, academic year. So it was, a uh, it was surreal to be honest. That was, that's how to describe it. It's a real moment, you know, and it's a real week, uh, 
We were doing lots of conference calls because uh, all of our athletic administration wasn't at the tournament. Our athletic director got all of our senior staff on conference calls and trying to decide how what are we how are we messaging, what are we telling our student athletes, what are we telling our fans, uh, you know, during this time of crisis. So it was it was very surreal. As as great a school as Temple is in sports, it's an academic institution and it involves young young students. So what is it like? People don't, I don't think, aren't appreciating how important it is for the university to make sure that the students are safe and, and that there's a uniformity to what's going on at the schools. What is it like behind the scenes for you to deal with making sure that the students are safe? Well, in my role, it's merely on the senior staff, but also in communications and uh, more external and internal. But, you know, just being part of a team to try to say, but you're exactly right. Safety of students is the most important thing a university does. There's nothing that's one, one A, two. That's what, that's what we do. So we were listening and taking the lead of our university administration, our president, to see what we were doing with our students, with our classrooms, with our dormitories. And all of this was transpiring, you know, through emails and through exchanges while we were traveling back from Texas. So we wanted to make sure that our young men that were with us on the basketball court and basketball team knew what they were facing when they got off that plane and when we were going, or is there a classroom? How long before they have to go home, you know? Uh, and uh, and then didn't stop there. It's like, okay, we have uh, like 500 student athletes. So we want to make sure that where were they all? You know, we have administrators for each sport, sports teams. I oversee as a varsity sport administrator, men's crew, women's rowing and women's soccer. We wanted to make sure that where are our students, our student athletes, are they in dormitory life? Are they in off-campus housing? How are we getting them or how are they getting themselves back home? And, and we have a lot of international student athletes too. And the university was doing the exact same thing, trying to make sure that this transition to online remote learning went smoothly. Uh, because, uh, you know, even the students had the transition, so did the, the professors, because they haven't been doing that either. It really was, there were so many variables that went through uh, such a fluid situation because, you know, you had no preparation for what was going to transpire over those days and, and weeks. And still now, I think we're in week nine of being remote. Uh, thankfully, our student athletes had a great uh, transition into our classrooms. We have a great academic support team for our student athletes and I think our university does as well but we really give them all the resources to succeed and and uh, our teams just got through their semester and and did a really tremendous job in the classroom and uh, we had our student athletes graduate unfortunately like all the rest of the country they didn't graduate these seniors uh, uh, the way they normally would with cap and gowns and walking through a commencement exercise but hopefully we do that sometime in the near in the not too distant future. Obviously, the academics have been a challenge to work out. I can only imagine the logistics from the athletic side with the coaches. How are you guys able to work with them and the coaches to keep the players engaged and ready in this time of separation? Well, the one thing is I think everyone in the world, or at least in our country, I guess there's other platforms. I mean, it seems like we all got really up to speed on what Zoom is. I mean, I know there's other platforms. We use Zoom at Temple. Uh, I had not used Zoom before this started, and now I'm pretty fluent in it. It seems like Zoom is at about four upgrades since in the last nine weeks. But uh, <laughs> uh, it, it, 
it's amazing how we're able to do that. I mean, I just got off a, a, a senior staff, uh, a senior staff, a st- an all staff Zoom call that we have every Friday, basically to close the week out and thank our staff for really just keeping their focus and trying to keep working through this. Uh, you know, and, and we, uh, we've, we've all gotten up to speed with uh, these, uh, these uh, Zoom and our student athletes and our coaches uh, have been using Zoom to keep in touch. Uh, I know our women's soccer team, for instance, goes through some, some exercises on film because we can't obviously see them uh, to work them out, you know, but just to try to keep their mind focused. We have uh, a great strength and conditioning uh, team that is in place that is really working with our student athletes to find ways that they can stay strong and stay and keep their athletic uh, skills fine tuned while being remote. Um, you know, it's really, uh, it's tough. I mean, you, as you've probably seen around the country, the stories of, you know, professional athletes trying to stay, uh, you know, in shape uh, and trying to keep ready for when their seasons resume. It's, it's a, it's not an easy task. As somebody with a history in communications and sports information, uh, one of the things that we're seeing is is teams and schools struggling with a uniform message. Um, and I think part of it is because we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. How, how does somebody in your position deal with things like that? Like, for example, Lincoln Riley said um, that it was ridiculous that the SEC was was planning or trying to open on June 1st. How do you how do you what is the message that you guys stay on? And do you coordinate with the rest of the conference or the rest of the NCAA? Yeah, it's a, good, a really good question. I mean, because we are trying to keep our student athletes informed. We started up a newsletter. Uh, that we send out weekly. Uh, we started up the second week of uh, being remote just to give out information and, and also give out, uh, you know, news stories that, that have uh, good impact on Temple. We've been promoting the positives of our student-athlete success, but also to give them information when we have it in a timely fashion. I think the most, uh, you know, trying part of this is that we have no end date. You know, there's always been like, okay, we're going to be back from this crisis in this time. There's no end date to this. I mean, we don't know when Philadelphia is going to go yellow, let alone go green. So that's a, you know, that's something that's uh, frustrating for everybody. And I think it's frustrating around the country when you see other states that aren't impacted the way uh, it seems like the Philadelphia, Jersey, and and uh, New York has have been. You know, and we haven't been to the extremes of Jersey and New York, but you know, Philadelphia is one of the, and Pennsylvania is one of the, you know, top impacted states in the country. So, you know, we just right now, we're just trying to say that we're doing the best we can. We're all moving forward in a direction to say we want to return to school first. We want to see if our school is able to open in the fall and and we are moving forward in that direction. I know the university officials are moving in that direction. We want to have a normal, traditional on-campus experience for our students in the fall. And we want to be able to reopen athletics, too, and, and the first we normally traditionally would open right around the start of August, you know, with football camp and with, you know, soccer and volleyball and field hockey and cross country comes back. So we've got student athletes coming back. Uh, and so we're still all focused and driven on saying we're going to return to that without knowing the, all the answers to how we're going to do that. But I know that, you know, uh, our athletic director, Dr. Kraft, is in touch with the university and we're also, the university is in touch with uh, the healthcare officials in the state and the city and, and we're following their lead and how we can safely get our students back on campus and our students back on the playing field. Uh, and I think there's still 
a lot of questions on on uh, how to do that uh, effectively. And we've looked into how do we train them in terms of strength and conditioning. Do we we maybe maybe we'll take our some of our our weight equipment and bring it outside because it's a safer environment maybe than indoors. Things like that to say how can we be proactive in saying what what can help our student athletes be safer. You do a lot, obviously, from the communications and public relations perspective. I'm sure it's been challenging. You know, the NFL decided to go forward with their draft. The NBA has sort of delayed things and and put an extended indefinitely deadline on prospects preparing. How has that been for you trying to help these players that are moving to the next level make those decisions in this uncertain process? Yeah, I think the one thing on that is with the uh, with, with our we had some of our football players drafted. We have some of our we have you know Quentin Rose and Nate Pierre Louis on our basketball team that are hopeful to be drafted. Uh, at, at at a certain point there, you know their coaches will obviously be there to support them. They'll have agents that are there to work with them as well, and they're also obviously trying to keep their skill level up to speed as they're trying to get themselves in shape because if they don't get drafted there but they want to try to latch on as a free agent so we try to give them as much support and guidance as we can uh, and uh, and that's kind of what we would be doing if we were in a normal environment as well well larry um before we let you go i noticed on your your twitter account that you seem to be doing stuff that a lot of a lot of parents are doing with their kids now which is watching old sports i saw that you were watching with your son an old boxing match what is what has it been like to to at least take advantage of this opportunity to kind of give your kid a history of the things you grew up with and to kind of see it through his eyes? That's that's a great point. I mean, yeah, I have been. I mean, we we watched. I think what there was. Uh, I think ESPN was running some old Ali uh, Frazier fights, and I I tried to educate uh, my son Connor. Uh, to say, let's watch this, let's tape this. And then we went back on YouTube and watched even some more fights that weren't on there, and, and they're all accessible. And, uh, you know, that's the era that I grew up in, in boxing, and, and it was uh, a special time. And, and obviously everyone in Philadelphia, you know, if they grew up then, Joe Frazier was a hero. You know, he was someone that, you know, was idolized. So I wanted to show him that that's what boxing it was, was like in its glory days. We've also done the same thing and gone back and, and tried to watch some some old basketball games. Temple Athletics right now has cherry and white classics. There, if you Google that or look look it up on YouTube, uh, we've been re- rerunning uh, with Kevin Cop, who oversees our video production area. We've been rerunning uh, classics in football, uh, men's basketball, women's basketball, all of our sports. You know, like cross country championships. Uh, every Friday night, we've gone through uh, our first season. We're kind of saying of like eight weeks of that. And now uh, we took a week off, and we're going to have another. I think I think we're about 12 weeks of uh, athletic events that we're going to run directly on YouTube, debut them on a Friday night, uh, and uh, it's got a lot of engagement with our fans. You know, just to go back, and I think our next game is going to be um, Temple St. Bond Adventure. It's the game uh, that Coach Cheney was suspended from uh, back in 1994, I believe. Um, after the uh, incident with UMass, that's after and, UMass. Uh, I remember that. Is, I, yeah. I grew up a Temple Aaron. fan with my with my dad. I, I always joke with Jeff. 
my my dad and I, we had recorded the 1987 Temple North Carolina game that they played at the convention center in Atlantic City and just used to replay that one all the time with the Mark Bacon team. So I enjoy those classics. Yeah, that's Aaron McKee playing in a highlight role in that game. And I'm yeah. our coach now, so we get a chance to have our fans kind of go back and see. Uh, I mean, I would think a lot of our fans totally recall Aaron and his glory days at Temple. A lot of fans that are listening here recall Aaron and his glory days with the Sixers in their last finals run. But, uh, you know, seeing Aaron, Eddie Jones, Rick Brunson, Derek McTee, uh, Karstarfin, there was a lot of great names that went through that era. And, uh, you know, we just happened to stumble across that game and say that'd be a nice one because it highlights uh, that era and it highlights Coach McKee. But, you know, we're doing a lot of that stuff. And, uh, again, it's there's a, it really is a weird time right now to say that we have really no sports. I mean, I see that NASCAR starts up with live sporting uh, this weekend um, uh, in Darlington. So uh, I'm not sure there's many of the – Philadelphia fan base for NASCAR, but uh, it's something that's live professional sports. And I'm really rooting for them to succeed here because I think everyone's looking at professional sports leagues, how they get back and up and running. And are they going to run with fans? Are they going to run without fans? Are they going to social distance? That's where a lot of the questions are right now uh, in the sports world as we move forward. Uh, okay, we bring them back. Do we bring back with fans? Do we, if we don't, how much? What's the percentage of fans that can be in a facility, in in terms of social distancing and being safe? So, uh, those are the questions we're looking into too, and we're trying to follow the lead. Uh, you know, of since we play in a professional facility and at Lincoln Financial Field in football, follow the lead with the Eagles. And how are they going to do this? Uh, if we can bring fans back, what's the, what's their capacity? They're going to go with so. Uh, there's cool. time for those questions, but we're looking into them right now because we want to be as prepared as we can once now if we're going to open our doors to uh, to our fan base to make sure they're safe. Well, as we start to get some answers to those questions, we look forward to maybe talking to you again as things go forward. Wish you the best of luck trying to put everything in place to help these student athletes. A, get their education. B, figure out how to keep chasing their athletic dreams. And, and Larry, so... For people that are interested, and there's a lot of people, obviously, in this area that are interested in the cherry and the white, uh, so where can we watch these old-school games? Well, directly on YouTube, and uh, I think if you just search YouTube for cherry and white classics, uh, you can find that. But we also have Al Sports or Temple Athletics has a YouTube page that you can just do the Google search there, and they'll be pushed out on that way as well. But uh, Friday night, I believe 7 o'clock, will be uh, – the games this this tonight is not we're off this week because this week all week we've been run, running on social media our stella awards uh from stella the l which honors all of our student athletes tonight we'll be announcing our male and female student athletes of the year on our social media accounts so there you go jeff we, we still have plans for that. tonight even though they're not showing the game it's all good <laughs> there you go larry yeah. thanks so much for your time and uh stay safe and uh thanks for what you're doing trying to keep things moving there at temple well, I appreciate it, guys. All right, you have a great weekend, and stay safe, too, okay? You have a great one. Thank you. Jeff, I can't imagine how complicated it is with all the moving parts and so much uncertainty for these leaders at these organizations, be it professional or colleges. I mean, obviously, college, you're dealing with kids, you know, and maybe young adults, but the emotional roller coaster, these guys are chasing their dreams, maybe losing periods of eligibility, 
and Larry's got to go through and, and help try to make sure that that keeps moving along. Well, the other problem is, is there, there seems to be no, um, the NCAA has kind of washed their hands of this and said, we're going to leave it to states. We're going to leave it to you individual universities. And I don't know if they can do something uniform, but what did you think of what Lincoln Riley said, uh, especially in response to the SEC? I, th- I think that, well, I don't know if you're only going to get one bite at the apple because I have concerns that you might bite the apple and then have to slow down that eating in the process and go back and bite again. But I don't know that this lack of uniformity where you're going to have some areas on lockdown where they won't do anything while other areas may be practicing and doing things is certainly practical. And I think you've seen James Franklin talk about that with Penn State about, you know, are all teams playing at the same time? You know, so are you going to have a a Big Ten that doesn't have some of their teams playing because they're in states that are still not allowed to play? It's it's very uncharted territory. And look, let's be honest, okay? As much as these are student athletes, the loss of revenues from these games for these schools is immense. They fund a lot of things based on their big-time sports programs, the sale of tickets, the broadcasting of games, everything that goes along with that. And so while these professional sports organizations are dealing with the challenge, these universities are dealing with it from another level. What's it, like $4 billion that was lost because there wasn't the NCAA tournament this year? That's just one tournament. That's not talking about spring sports and summer sports and fall sports where there's still so much uncertainty about what's actually going to happen for them. Yeah, I, I, I just have a problem with the SEC jumping the gun, in my opinion. Uh, I, I heard some reactions to Lincoln Riley's comments and saying that he should just be quiet and that he should just worry about his school. There's a lot to consider here. And and quite frankly, I think what Lincoln Riley said was the the moderate reasons, reasoned approach, which is you. I know you think that there might be multiple bites at the apple. I think for college football this season, there's one bite at the apple. If they come back too soon and something happens, that's it. It's going to shut down. They're not going to get a second bite at the apple. So why don't you do this in a way that you make sure that everything's being done right? June 1st is too soon. It's too close to the corner. That It doesn't make sense to do it. And the, re- the visceral reaction to him suggesting that it's too soon seems a little odd to me. I think that there also might be some SEC frustration from the rest of America, which is the SEC is going to jump the gun and they're going to get a competitive advantage on the rest of the of college football. And unfortunately, part of me says that's exactly why the SEC is doing this. They're jumping the gun. They're going to get their guys in. They're going to get their guys working out. They're going to get their guys with their playbooks. They're going to do this sooner. But if if this backfires on them, they don't seem to understand it's not going to just backfire on them. It's going to backfire on all of college football. Because right now, how are they? what is the contingency plan if something goes wrong? What is the contingency plan if James Franklin's right and some schools play and some don't? How are you going to figure this out? It takes years to put together a college football schedule. Years, sometimes a decade, to put together those games, especially the out-of-conference games. So, for example, you can roll your eyes. Michigan's going all the way out to Seattle, Washington to play Washington for their opening game. That's probably not going to happen. They're not going to have these kids traveling across the country. 
So even within a conference, you're traveling far. If you're going to put them all on buses, go for it. But if you're going to get these kids on planes, it opens up a whole new can of worms. It's a lot of people, a lot of moving around. There and are I, definitely a lot of moving parts with it. And and they're students. That's what they, we cannot. I understand you're saying it's $4 billion here and it's this many billion dollars here and how much. It, but the fact is, these are kids. These are 18 to 21, 22-year-old kids who are being asked to just trust a bunch of people, most of which have their interest, but there are some that have the interest of the $4 billion. Well, look, we saw that this week with Major League Baseball, and you know they're moving forward with plans to try and be back open by July, start spring training in June, a lot of changes, expanded rosters, double the wild card, universal DH, no fans in the stands. We can talk all those details. Mm-hmm. But then you have Tampa Bay Rays ace Blake Snell saying it's just not worth it for him to come and play for that if they cut their money. And you see Bryce Harper come out there and agree with him saying somebody had to say it and Nolan Arenado back him. Though Nolan Arenado at least said he understands where the fans are coming from kind of rejecting that concept that you'll pass up that money. Um, I I told you before the show, uh, my opinion is you have an agent for a reason to shield you from these negative headlines. And they may have the best interests and we may agree with them, but at a time where there's 30 million unemployment claims, it's not the best look to come straight out and say it's not worth it for you to play for millions of dollars, even if you're right. Look, you know how much I love Bryce Harper being on this team. I think he's a good citizen. I think he does a lot. No, Bryce, somebody didn't have to come out and say it. Because what what's being missed in this is, is the way the players are looking at it is they're always getting taken advantage of by the owners. And the owners are always trying to say that the players want too much. This is the wrong time to be having a, a, a lockout-type discussion. I'm not talking about them. Just that kind of thing. And so what, what's being missed in this is if they play 50% of the games, the players are saying I should get 50% of my salary. That salary is based on a bunch of things that aren't going to happen. There's not going to be any revenue from fans, from parking, from, from concessions, from a lot of – even even the clothing, the apparel, it's not going to be the same. So if all of that's not coming in for one year – I'm saying just for one year – the players should recognize that this is the wrong time to complain about that, that that they have a chance, much like September 11th, by the way. Everybody remembers when the Yankees and Mets came back after September 11th. It was a unifying moment. Baseball has a chance this summer to have a unifying moment. It cannot get lost because the play because Blake Snell is saying I should have seven million instead of $4 million. This is the wrong time to be saying it, especially, as you said, with 30 million people out of work. It's just the wrong look, time. I'm, I'm generally a guy who says, you know, the players get screwed mostly. Their contracts aren't honored all the time anyway. So I'm not normally a guy who says that they should. the players should have to go back and renegotiate their contract, either for outperforming it or underperforming it. You agree to a contract for a reason. We saw that in the last dance with Scottie Pippen. You know, somebody who definitely didn't go back and renegotiate. So I just think it's bad optics separate from the actual facts of the matter to have your star athletes out there taking that stand publicly. Again, even if I totally see where they're coming from, 
Well, Blake, Blake Snell also said, I don't want to risk my life for this. Now, that's okay. That's okay to say. Yeah, if you're ta- if you're worried, it's the money see, that's the part thing that of bugs this, me. That they should have just left it out. That's the thing that bugs me. If you're not willing to play because you're worried about your health, that's one thing. And your family. If you are not concerned about your health, but you're concerned about what you're getting paid, that's a different thing. Yeah. I think people will understand that differently. Somebody who's been in their house for nine weeks, they understand the fact that you don't want to come out of your house to risk it right now. I don't know that they're going to understand that if they haven't gotten a paycheck that you're saying that yours is not enough. I think that's a problem of optics for baseball. Jeff, we've got two minutes left. Mm-hmm. I'll let people get your full take on the last dance on the Locked On Sixers podcast with Keith Pompey. I listened earlier this week. Give me your quick take of what we saw with the last dance as we head to episodes nine and ten this weekend. I, th- I think the most powerful thing was seeing Michael Jordan at the end of that last episode on the ground crying. And, and some of us know about that event, that he that he did that. I don't know if anybody ever heard that sound before. And to me, hearing him sobbing on the ground was pretty incredible. Now, with that said, I still think that there is a common theme running through this of Michael Jordan being a bully. And um, I asked you before the show, can you be a bully and a leader? And I think and I he believe- tried to be both, but there are definitely things that he did that were bullying. Oh, I, I think you can be both. I, I think that there were people he was a bully to and times he was a bully and play teams where he was clearly a leader in, in the right kind of way. What's frustrating to me about Michael Jordan coming through this is that there's a lack of history and a lack of being magnanimous in that, you know, he, he won't give other players their due. Even now, 20 years removed from basketball. Oh, he wouldn't give Gary Payton his existence. (laughs) Oh, it frustrates me because Gary Payton was that good. And I'm convinced that if Gary Payton would have guarded Michael Jordan, even though Gary Payton, they didn't mention it, Gary Payton was injured in that series. And that's why he couldn't, they had to pick offense or defense. But Gary Payton, if he would have played Michael Jordan from the outside of that series, I'm convinced that year, that series, the Sonics win it. And for those people that don't know, that's the Oklahoma City Thunder. And you can hear Keith take on Jeff's take on that on the Locked on Sixers podcast. That's going to be the last word for Jeff this week. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.